Sure, go ahead. Good morning. What a snow weekend we've had, eh? <clears throat> so today, uh, <clears throat> we are on the third Beatitude on a series on Beatitudes. <clears throat> Excuse me, my throat is... Um, so just to recap, we have talked about blessed are the poor, for they, uh, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So these are characteristics of a person on whom the kingdom of God is breaking through. That's why Jesus said, you are blessed if you have these characteristics, that means when you see it, that means the kingdom of God is breaking through in your life. These qualities are not natural qualities. So some people are not born with the, the poor in spirit and they are kind of mournful people. That's not what Jesus is saying. We become these when Jesus and his good news gets a hold of us. So when I say a meek person, what, what images come to your mind? Maybe some of you, you're thinking a weak person, uh, maybe a doormat, uh, somebody with no backbone, maybe no convictions or courage or guts, when I say a meek person. Not so in the Bible. You know, the only two people mentioned in the Bible who are explicitly described as meek uh, by the same word Jesus uses here is Moses in Numbers chapter 12 and Jesus in Matthew 11. Both of them you would hardly call wimps. So what does this word meek mean? Jesus uses the word preis. Um, that's the word in the first century people used to describe domesticated animals. So now what I want you to imagine is, is a wild, powerful stallion that has been reined in, the power has been reined in um, by the master, an animal that has learned to accept the control of its master. So that's the image I want you to have. That's the lens through which I want you to listen to this message. And even when you hear the word meek, I want you to think about a wild, powerful stallion that has been brought under the control of the master. Now let's look at uh, Jesus and Moses through these lenses. So Moses, <clears throat> you know, he was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was a strong man, strong leader, wild. Uh, you know he was wild because uh, he saw an Egyptian and a Hebrew have a, a, a disagreement and he goes to set things right. And what does he do? He kills the Egyptian. That's how wild he was. Um, 
he beat the, he, uh, the Egyptian, that he killed him, and uh, because of that, he ends up staying in uh, Midian for 40 years. And in that 40 years, you see God bringing him under his control, the control of the Yahweh. And after this, only he, <clears throat> he takes the Israelites across the Red Sea. And in Numbers 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. What a thing to put on your gravestone, eh? Wow. Um, now, the context of this Numbers 12 is um, Miriam and Aaron, who are uh, Moses' siblings, have publicly criticized Moses. They, th they are saying to him, are you the only one whom God speaks through? He speaks through us too. And they are shaming him publicly in front of everyone. They are questioning his leadership. And you, you could see Moses being silent. He doesn't fight for his rights. He stands quiet and he lets God fight for him. Not a small thing to do. Has anyone challenged you or publicly shamed you? I find in such confrontations, it takes courage and strength to not to react in kind, to keep your mouth shut and not to give a piece of your mind, right? That's Moses. Jesus. Now, Jesus is the God of all the universe. He's wild and powerful. In, if you read uh, the Narnia series, he's the wild lion who's Aslan. And he becomes vulnerable, human being, and being under the Father's authority, he becomes as a human being. That's why in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says of himself, he says, I am meek, and humble at heart. One of the other ways to understand the word meek is looking at how it is used in the other places of the Bible. Psalm 37 is of particular help. Many commentators wonder if Jesus was echoing and expanding on this psalm. Um, in Psalm 37 verse 11 it says, but the meek shall inherit the land. Many scholars actually argue that uh, Psalm 37 gives us the fullest interpretation of the word meek. Derek Kinder says there is no finer exposition of the third beatitude than this psalm from which it is drawn. So I want you to, this snowy weekend, I want you to go home and read Psalm 37 and maybe read it over and over again this week. Uh, I have studied it for a long time. Um, and uh, you would find the psalm is linked together by recurring phrases, they shall inherit the earth, or they shall inherit the land, when you read Psalm 37. It's a long psalm, so uh, have a few minutes to read it. Now, the person who wrote this psalm is, is David. Um, 
he struggles with this age-old problem you and I struggle with, and Ben talked about it last week. It's the success of those who disregard God. Don't you find that? People who don't seem to have any regard for God seem to be succeeding. Seems like the pushy, the grabby, the power-yielding, self-asserting people are the ones who seem to succeed in the earth, on the earth. Or they seem to inherit the earth in the biblical times, they would say. Uh, David ran for 14 years of his life from a power-wielding, jealous king who wanted to kill him because he was jealous of, of David. But David had several opportunities to take out Saul, but he doesn't. He waits on God to make him the king. Even though God had promised him, I was gonna, I'm going to make you the king. So David is old when he writes the psalm, Psalm 37, and he is one of the revered kings of the Jewish nation. And he makes this daring claim that the meek will inherit the land, which Jesus in his authority repeats, saying, contrary to all that you believe and all that you see around you, the gentle will win at the end. So, uh, Psalm 37, we, uh, David describes the meek from many different angles. Uh, what meek do and what meek don't do and who they are. So we are going to look at a few angles and then we'll uh, move on. Uh, verse 3, the first one it says, The meek trust in the Lord and do good. Verse 3 says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Now trust Trust means putting your weight of your life on God or on yourself or on somebody else. Putting the weight of your life on somebody, that's trusting. Most often we end up trusting ourselves. Do you find that? You trust in your abilities, maybe your abilities to manipulate orchestrate things, um, fight for things. But here is uh, David saying, trust in the Lord and continue to do good because he'll bring it to pass. He's trying to say, life just doesn't depend on you and you alone. And sometimes I think that's what we believe, don't we? My life depends just on me. And he's saying, no, you have a father who loves you, who will take care of you. The second one is in verse 4. The meek delight themselves in the Lord. This past week, uh, on January 30th, uh, Dervin and I celebrated our 27 years uh, when Dervin asked me out for the first time. Now, uh, it might not be a, a big deal for 
most people, but for us it was, because when I went to university, I had this um, strong idea that I wasn't going to date anyone. And I wasn't, and most of my friends were guys, and so I had all these boundaries how I was going to do it. I wasn't going to go out for coffee alone with any guy. I wasn't going to go for walks alone with guys. If I went, I would go with a group or a few. And I had all these rules that I, how I was going to do it. And um, also I had this plan that I was, I was in the business program. I was going to do my business degree, then get my designation as a chartered accountant, work for a large CA firm, and become a CEO of a large company, and would marry somebody who would be financially qualified and stable. And that was my plan. That's what I had set <laughs> in, in motion. And then I meet Derwin, and he just did not fit into any plans. And in fact, he was a complete distraction for me. And <laughs> and so I, I really struggled with that. So I, I prayed. I'm like, Lord, what do I do with? Because we became very good friends. And I could see my mindset was changing. And I prayed. Um, I actually took some time apart. And I prayed. And I found this is the scripture the Lord gave me. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, you, now, don't get me wrong. It's like he didn't say, you delight in me, and I'll give you the condo in, in Hawaii. That was not the promise. The Lord was asking me to focus my life in delighting in him, and he will put the desires, his desires, in my heart. I look back at the 27 years. I have not climbed the corporate ladder or the career that I was hoping to or the financial success that I was planning when I was 22. But I see God's kindness, his gentle kindness in directing me, saying, you have your focus in delighting in me and I will give you the desires of my heart, his heart. Because you know why? He made me. He created me. He knew what makes me tick. And he knew what would give me real joy. And I was like this strong stallion that had set my course this direction and saying, this is what it's going to do for me. And him saying, no, angel, this is the way it's going to give you life. This is what's going to give you joy. And that is the God we have. And that's what I think David found. He would say, the meek have a special focus in life. Delighting in God. Instead of focusing on me, what I have or what I don't have, they find their joy in Yahweh. They find their security and their identity in the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The next one, the meek commit their way to the Lord. Uh, verse 5, it says, commit your way to the Lord. 
trust in him and he will act. Commit, the word, the Hebrew word there literally means to roll. They roll their way into the Lord. You know, in our world right now, we would say, it's your life, you have to deal with it, take matters into your hands, and you have to take care of it, right? That's what our world says to us. But here, the meek roll their lives, their concerns, their burdens, their children, their longings to the Lord. I like uh, Stuart Briscoe's quote here. He says, the meek roll their lives, their cares, their reputations onto the Lord and, the, and let the Lord worry about it all. Wow, what a way to live, eh? The meek are those who, when offended, commit their wounded egos and the ones offending their ego to the perfect judge. That's amazing. The right thing might be to forgive, confront, or do both, but either way, you ro you, the meek roll their concerns, all that, onto the Lord. And you study Jesus and Moses, and you see them doing it over and over again. Uh, the next one is the meek rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Verse 7, it says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This is a tough one. I find uh, this is one of the toughest ones for me. How often do I take matters into my own hands when things happen or don't happen? It doesn't mean you don't act. It just means you wait on God before you act. That's what it means. I think Jesus wants us to be like the stallion, this wild, powerful stallion that is being held by the master. Um, in the Bible, when it says wait, waiting is not a passive activity. You just kind of sit and do nothing and go, I'm waiting on God. No, that's what what it means in the Bible. Waiting in the Bible means there's great concentration. You ask on what? You concentrate on your master, like the horse waiting, right? You, concentration on the master and readiness to move. The minute the master says, go, you go. It's like waiting expectantly on your tiptoe for God to vindicate or to satisfy. I find that kind of waiting means that you have confidence in this God. You have confidence that he is good, that he is for you, and that he will act on behalf of you. The next one is uh, in verse 1 and uh, seven, the meek do not fret or be envious. Uh, verse one says, do not fret because of, uh, because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways. Fret in, in uh, Hebrew, Hebrew literally means don't get heated. 
Don't get heated. Now, that takes a lot of strength, doesn't it? Not to get heated. Um, have you ever had this ex uh, experience when your child says, okay, I'm going to be home at 9.30, and 9.30 rolls along, they are not there, 10, they are not there, 11, they are not there, 12, they are not there, and you are getting, you're fretting, and then you're getting heated. And they come at 12.30, and you are ready to pounce on them. That is fretting. How much wasted energy and time is spent on stewing over people who have offended us, ignored us, or have taken advantage of us, or have disappointed us? How much time and energy is wasted? The last one, uh, there's many more, but this is the last one. Um, the meek refrain from anger and turn from wrath. In verse uh, 8, it says, stop being angry, turn from rage, do not lose your temper, it only leads to harm. I can just picture this wild horse now, like, you know, ready to go in this direction and needing to be controlled. We all get angry. Just, I want to say that out there because it's a normal emotion to get angry. Now, what you do with your anger is the issue. Um, like David says here, stop being angry. Do not stay there. Do not live in anger. That's what he's trying to say. Um, the, be the meek don't stay angry. So when you do get angry, what do you do with it? You go before God. Like there are sometimes I'm sure God thinks, now here comes Angel, she's crazy again. And I'm like, okay, I'm so mad, I'm so mad, you know. I'm so hurt and all my anger comes out. I figure he could deal with my anger more than Derwin or my boys could. And um, I do lose it many times, but... Be, being before God with your anger is far better root. Um, I am a woman after all, so let me speak to some of the women. There are times of the days of the month we can overreact as women. And at that time, the meek will say, Lord, am I overreacting? We humble ourselves before God and say, God, I'm so angry. Am I overreacting right now? Shed your light on me. Now, if you are a man, whether you are a brother, husband, or a roommate, and uh, your sister or wife or whoever is maybe overreacting, I pray that you guys would be the meek men who would be like the stallion that is controlled and say, you know what? I don't need to react in kind. That's my two cents worth here. Uh, when, when I went through all these things, the meek seem like the invincible, don't they? They are the invincible. They are not the weak. They know they are God, that, and they are confident that God will act. 
Also, did you notice these are all heart issues? It's not okay if you do this, then you'll become meek. If you do so many sit-ups, then you'd be under control. It's heart issues. I find uh, Psalm 139, uh, the last two verses are powerful prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thought. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So what does meekness look like in our everyday life, in our action? You see that in Moses and in, in Jesus. If you look at the, both the context of what's happening, uh, the Numbers 12 and, and Matthew 11, these are difficult times for both of them, Moses and Jesus, and difficult in relationships. Moses, uh, you know, Aaron and Miriam publicly questioning the, his leadership and shaming him and inserting their own leadership. Moses not lashing out, um, even though he's hurt. And you see Jesus, if you study Matthew 11, you find uh, this is in this place, uh, John the Baptist, who was the first one, his cousin, who publicly said to everyone, this is the Messiah, the ones you've been waiting for. This is the Lamb of God who is going to take away the sin of the world. He witnesses to everyone, Jesus is the one. And here he is in, in Matthew 11, questioning whether Jesus is the Messiah. You know why? Because what he had hoped Jesus would do, Jesus hadn't done it. He's in prison. So he sends a disciple saying to Jesus, are you sure you're the one or should we be expecting somebody else? Can you imagine how that would feel for Jesus? Here is his greatest cheerleader questioning. And then uh, if you read on in, in Matthew 11, Jesus does all these miracles in these towns and they are not trusting Jesus. That would be so hard. Uh, these were difficult times for Jesus. I find meekness plays a key role in our relationships. For especially for those of us who want to live the kingdom life, Meekness seemed to play a key role. You know, Hillside, uh, our vision is that we would uh, connect deeply, grow fully, and serve passionately. The second one, grow fully. You know, I don't know about you. I find when I sit here on Sundays, I am pretty good. I'm doing well with God. But the minute I go home, and I have to live my life in relationship with others and my will is clashing against other people, that's when it becomes hard. I used to think I was pretty good spiritually when I was single. And then I married Derwin. And I used to think, my word, I have anger issues, I have selfishness issues. 
And then I had children, and I thought, man, I have no hope now. <laughs> you know, I really need God. And those of you who haven't had kids, wait till you have kids. <laughs> Do you realize you desperately need God? <laughs> yes, those of us who have kids, we know. It's interesting, um, the last few hours Jesus has before he is arrested, um, he says some of the significant things, right? These are his last words. And at that time, he says, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. I used to wonder why is he saying it's new? Because it says, love God, love your neighbor, it's there in the Old Testament. What is so new about it? But if you read it carefully, it says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus loved me when I was his enemy. That is the call to love. To love like that to love your enemies the way Jesus loves. When you can love like that, that means the kingdom of God is breaking through in your life. Because I can love my friends, I can love the people I like. But to love like Jesus loves. You know, the definition of love is in, uh, most of you may have heard it at weddings, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. You know, you could change the word love and put Jesus in there and, and read it. Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus is not proud, he is not rude, he is not self-seeking. Now, as I grow in his kingdom, I should be able to substitute from the love to angel. Angel is patient. Ah, not so. Not so. When I'm agitated, I'm not patient. Angel is kind. Not when I'm frustrated. Angel is self, not self-seeking. Ouch. Not when I don't get my way. Angel is not easily angered. Not when somebody cuts me off on Highway 1. Can I muster this kind of meekness and love? Can I pull up my bootstraps and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be meek. You know I have tried. I do okay. But then, that wild, uncontrolled angel comes shattering when she's under pressure. When she is pushed or when she's hurt, when she is betrayed. 
Then comes that angel out who's deep within. If you have tried to become this kind of person and found it's impossible and you are ready to give up, then you are in the right place. You know why? Jesus would say, yours is the kingdom. You know why? Because at that point, you know that you are poor. There's nothing you could do to make yourself meek. You are at the bottom. That is the good news of Jesus. That's why the blessed are the poor is the first one. Because when you grab a hold of that, you have grabbed a hold of the kingdom of God. Because you cannot do this on your own. No matter how much you try and how much work you do, this is something that happens only when the spirit of God comes in you and he comes alive in you. That's when the kingdom of God breaks through. That's why Paul in Galatians says, when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience. If you go on, one of them is gentleness. That is the same word, meekness. We need the Spirit of God to live in us and through us. You have to keep praying. <laughs> Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. Just on a side note, I was telling my friend that I, uh, she was asking me what I was doing, and I, I said I was speaking on meekness, and she made a comment. She said, you know, I wish my husband could hear you. And, uh, and I thought, hmm. And I thought, something I said to her, and I thought maybe I should say this here too. You know, in relationship, meekness has a lot to do with relationships. Um, relationships involve resolving conflict. That's a given, right? If you're in relationship with somebody, whether it's roommates or spouses or children or parenting, uh, resolving conflict is part of it. I know Devin has talked about this. If you are, you are usually in resolving conflict, you are a rhino or a, or a porcupine. So rhino is a person who charges in, like bull in a china shop, or comes out with guns blaring. And there are some of us who are porcupines. Um, when conflict comes, we put our quills out, and we withdraw, and we sulk. And we put a big thing above us saying, don't come near me. Now, if you're a porcupine, like my friend was, you may think you have meekness under control, more than the rhinos do. Maybe you might even feel you are a bit more spiritual than the rhinos do. Can I tell you something? If you are a porcupine, your withdrawal, your sulking, you putting your quills out is as detrimental to the community of, of Jesus and your family as much as the rhinos. 
You might think because I don't say anything, I'm okay. But the poison still leaks out and the bitterness is taking root. Your withdrawal leaves others scarred, hurt, wounded, and crippled. How many of us here have experienced that as, as people have walked out of our lives, whether it's our friendships or marriages or families or small groups or churches? So both rhinos and porcupines, they need meekness uh, to love and to be meek so that we might be in the kingdom of God. Um, just a couple of things I want to say before I close here. Uh, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, uh, at that time it says, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Would you listen to a little girl who's still learning about meekness? who haven't got all the answers, but who has a father who has all the answers. I can tell you I mess up all the time in this area of meekness. That's why I've been studying for a while about meekness. I even yesterday, I fumbled and I fell. Even as I was preparing this, but every time I fall, I find Jesus coming to me and saying, come to me, angel. I will put things right for you. Did you notice it's not about his teaching, not about his principles, not about his rules and laws. It's about just him. And he says, I will give you rest. I find the greatest need in this world of constant striving, trying to win, carrying burdens and being hurt, the greatest need is rest. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What is this yoke Jesus is talking about? Take my yoke, he says. What is this yoke that he wears? He gives it away in verse 26 there. This is his, the yoke that he's talking about, his, this father-son relationship. He's talking about in that passage. In the message, it says the father-son operation. 
comes out of this father-son intimacy. This, this father-son relationship is the center of the universe. That is what drove Jesus to the cross. That is the yoke you and I are invited into. This father-son relationship. Uh, if you don't know what to read in the Bible, a good place to read is John 15 to 17. Just stay there if you don't know what to do. Because it's amazing. Because these are Jesus' last words. And here Jesus talks about, uh, I live in the Father, the Father is in me. And then he goes on to say, I am in you and you are in me. And uh, uh, if you do this, I'll my Father and I will come and sup with you. That means we are going to have this amazing relationship. This is what we are invited into. This is the new way of life. Living in him. And for you to do that, you have to be meek. You have to give up your striving and your control and let the master lead you. Then he says, learn from me. Because there is freedom in that life. There is rest in that life. There is hope in that life. I'm just going to pray. Uh, 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 I'm going to ask the worship team to come. But um, if you don't have this life with God, and if, even as I'm talking, you're kind of going, I don't know what that means because I don't have a relationship with Jesus. It's not a hard thing to do. All you have to do is ask Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to start this journey. I want to start this new life. Your life does not make any sense without the author of life. Because only he has the blueprint for your life. And only with his blueprint, your life will ever make sense. So if you want to start that journey, talk to Dervin or Nina or Lincoln or anyone who wants to pray at the front, they would help you with that journey. So I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you, Lord that you are here. Thank you, Jesus, that your words are good news to us. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we don't have to do this on our own, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And thank you, Father, you have given us your spirit to empower us to do this life. Oh, Spirit of God, we pray, would you fall afresh on us? Shape us and mold us and fill this empty life that we have. We want to become a people who are more open to your leadership. Father, in our everyday mundane life, we want to be open to your leadership. Break down our stubborn and willful hearts that we might be more like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.